Good evening. Welcome to the well. That always sounds so loud. And I know you guys think it's not too loud, but I just, it sounds so loud to me when I hear my voice come out over the system. Do you guys help me thank the band for giving their Friday night to come and lead us in worship? They serve us well, the men that, of this church, so the women can worship um, together. Um, before we start, um, how many of you guys, this is your very first time to come out to one of DBC Well events? Can you just raise your hand? Yep, that's pretty good. That's really, really good. What about if you're here and you're under 18 years of age? Would you raise your hands for me? Ladies, look around. All the hands that are up. All right. That is why we're here. Do you guys understand, ladies, older ladies in the room, and I'm one of them, and if you're here, you're also one of them, no matter how old you are, you're an older lady in the room, that second, I'm sorry, Titus 2 tells us that the older women are to teach the younger women. And the reason that we can't offer child care on these nights is because we want your daughters in this room with you learning the same thing you guys are learning. Because this is not a word just for older women, it's a word for all ages and for all women. And our, our job as women in the body of Christ is to, is to reach down into the younger women and, and raise them up. And so I'm so excited. When we were here for the brunch back in June, January 20th, what in June it was January, my words tonight are so mixed up in my head. Pray for me because I, I get to deliver a message. I hope it's clear. When we were here January 20th, there was a whole table right here of just young ladies that came out. And that's my heart. And I'll tell you what, I am, I'm in a position in my life right now where God has given me a vision. And where he has me, he, he won't let me do what he's given me to do. And I'm so frustrated, and I'm so grieved, and I'm so burdened. But my heart is that all of us would grab a vision for pouring into the next generation, pouring into younger women, pouring in to those who are coming behind us, that we would pour the word into them. And so I am excited you guys are here and you're always welcome. Don't ever let anyone look down on you because you're young. That's what Paul told Timothy, right? Don't ever let anyone look down on you because you're young. So welcome to the well, old, young, alike. We're glad that you're here. You came and you should have received a worship guide. It looks just like this. Does anybody not have one because you're going to need it in just a little bit? If you don't have one, raise your hand and we will make sure you get one. I think everybody's got one, right? Okay, this is going to come in handy in just a bit. Um, let me pray for us, and then just after I pray, just, just as I say amen in just a few minutes, Colby is going to play a video for you, and I didn't know how to use this, but I wanted to use it, um, so we're going to use it now, and this is a, a video that a friend of mine, David Lawson, did as a live Facebook feed some months ago, and I actually shared it, I think I'm, I shared it after he did it. Some of you have seen it, some of you have not seen it. But my friend David Lawson, I've known him since I was about 18 years old. He and his wife, BJ, who's going to be here with us in October, um, poured into me when I was a, uh, a late teen, early 20-year-old, um, learning to love the Word of God. They taught me how to study, and phenomenal people. But David and BJ travel throughout Southeast Asia, and they train. he trains pastors, and she works with women, widows in particular. She works with widows and children, training them in how to study the Word of God. And so David... 
some time ago went um, on a trip, and he's going to share with us what he learned. And I think his message is going to be very applicable to what I'm going to share tonight. So I want you to hear that. It's about three minutes long. Then after I pray, we're going to see that in just a minute. Colby, once I say amen, he's going to play that. And then I'm going to jump into what we're going to share tonight. So let's pray together. Father, we are so very thankful that um, you've called us each by name. And Lord, we know that um, if you know the stars by name, Father, you certainly haven't forgotten ours and that you know right right where you have us. Um, You know who we are. You know what season of life you're taking us through, Father. And your call to us is just to follow me. Follow me. And so, Lord, tonight I pray for each of us here, no matter where we're at, Father, no matter what burdens that we brought in the door with us, God, I pray that um, by your Spirit you would just allow those things to, um, to be shed right now so that we could hear what you had to say to us. God, I pray that you would bind the enemy, that he would have no place here tonight, no distractions, no worries, no anxieties, Father. And Lord, we, um, we pray, I pray, Father, that you would in the heavens, you'd send your spirit to teach us. Lord, I'm so inadequate to bring your word, but you are so adequate to speak through me, Father. And I pray you would take the hours I've studied, um, that, Lord, you would somehow do something with them in a way that only you can, Father. You know our hearts, you know our needs, and we just trust you to speak to us, Father. We need you to speak to us, and we thank you that you want to speak to us. So, Lord, would you just remove me, and would you make your word um, have the highest place tonight, right where it belongs. God, we thank you, and we love you for what you're doing, and Lord, what you're going to do. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. not and the question is what did I do last year what did you do last year in a country where it is we are completely free to go and do and say most anything what did you do what did I do last year what did we do well we're going to talk about a few things that are going to relate to that a little bit Um, I hope by the end of tonight you'll kind of get the the connection of that so um, anyway can we can I get these lights up here brought down just a little bit just so I can see um, that would be helpful I think and we want you to have lights you can see your Bibles and so they'll figure that out for us in the back well I absolutely love um, watching period TV and movies I, I'm a little I guess a little strange in that I don't know you know it's like period stuff like um, sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Downton Abbey, those kind of things, like those things. I love it. Um, love watching Masterpiece Theater and PBS when I used to have TV. I used to love watching that kind of stuff. I love the period stuff. Um, there's something simple about those days 
that I think, gosh, it's, I would just love not to have to worry about stuff that we worry about. They didn't even think about Facebook and Instagram, and they didn't check anything. You know, they were lucky if they got a letter on horseback, and that was exciting. Um, but I love it. And I tell you this, a few years ago, I took um, my nephew Dylan, who's back at the soundboard, I took him and on a graduation trip to Scotland and London. And I said, anywhere you want to go, within reason, and we'll go. And his mom and dad went, and his brother Colby went. Had a great time. But one thing I was not expecting um, to, to have happened on this trip was for them to enjoy the history so much. I've traveled a lot in the last 20 years, and anytime like Jamie and I would go somewhere, we'd go to a museum or go to a castle or we'd buy a ticket and we'd walk past this booth that gave out little headsets you listen to or you walk around and listen to when you push a button and it plays information about whatever you're looking at. We always just kind of walk past that. I'm like, oh, I don't want to listen to that. I'll get the highlights. We'll be here 30 minutes. We'll go to the next site and get as much as we can get in in our trip. Not those guys. We go in the first, first place we go get our ticket. Well, they stop. I'm like, what are y'all doing? They stop to get, they all get headsets. I'm like, I guess I got to have one too, right? So I get the headset and we walk around for a couple of hours, not 30 minutes. And they stop at every little placard and listen. This is going to take forever. And it did take forever. And every place we went, they did this. But the coolest thing is, I have great pictures of Colby and Dylan both standing in front of um, headstones and, and just in cemeteries, listening to who this person was. And some of those people were their family members. Dylan had done some research and had found out all this stuff about the Scots. And we went tracking down gravestones and we found some of them. And, but it was so cool to watch those guys completely immersed in the history that they were walking through. And I, be, I began to appreciate the trip in a whole new way than I've ever appreciated traveling because all of a sudden I was not just walking through a castle looking at the beautiful architecture. I was listening and hearing history and hearing really cool things I never would have gotten had they not stopped by that very first booth and picked up a headset and made me do the same thing. Um, but it was just a great experience. But I love history and I love doing those kind of things. I love watching those movies because part of me wishes I lived back then. Anybody else kind of wish they lived at Downton Abbey? Right? On the, on the, the, the above ground level? Not, not in the basement, right? You kind of wish you did that or lived some other time. And you hear people say, I wish I lived when Jesus lived. wish I could walk when Jesus was walking. Or you have this time in your mind, right? Anybody, is this just me? Am I not crazy, right? So we like that kind of stuff. But one thing I've learned is that God did not design me for those days. And I often think that, man, we need people living in our days like the Apostle Paul. I mean, he could preach some sermons. He could set some churches straight. He could plant some churches. We need some men like Martin Luther that could set doctrine straight and and free us from religion. We need women like Amy Carmichael, again, being a voice for the voiceless. We need those people in our generation. But that's wrong. That's wrong because God designed them for their generation. And God has designed us for our generation. He didn't design me to live Downton Abbey, 19-whatever. He designed me for Dublin, Georgia, 2018. He's designed Esther for Bartow, Georgia, 2018. 
He's designed all of us for where we are, when we are, right now. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Psalm 139, if you have that. Um, if you don't, maybe you have a device you can look it up with. Psalm 139 is a very, very um, familiar passage of Scripture. Used a lot, especially in um, the right to life month. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. Says this. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when, there, when, when as yet there was none of them. The first thing we see of this passage is that God knows us. He knows us. He made us intentionally. And for us in this room, he made us all women intentionally. He made the men that are here men intentionally. He formed us and he knows us. He knows exactly who we are because he put us together in our mother's womb. If you have blonde hair, black hair, brown hair, red hair, blue eyes, green eyes, if you're tall, you're short. Doesn't matter. However you are, that's how God made you with a purpose. God knows us. Secondly, which I think is just as important, is that God plans for us. It says in verse 16 that the days that were formed for me, our days are formed for us. And this little word hurt my feelings a few weeks ago. I learned it. I did some digging into this word formed. I didn't like it. Um, but the word formed there is yetzar. It's Y-A-T-S-A-R. Is the Hebrew word, and it means to form, to fashion, to devise, or to frame. The word implies initiation as well as structuring. Our days are formed for us. God initiates them, and God structures them. So no matter where you're at tonight, no matter what you're going through, no matter what situation life throws at you, we know that God has formed that just for me, just for you. He forms our days. He initiates them and he structures them just for us. God knows us and he plans for us. Um, that word, yetzar, in its, in its participle form, it means it's a, he's a potter or a creator. What do potters do? They squeeze, they mold, and they form clay. This word is also synonymous with bara, which is the word that's used in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. Right? That's the word bara. I had to learn some things in Hebrew when I took Hebrew. I had to learn Genesis 1. And I can see in the first few words, it's bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. Bereshit bara Elohim. Bara is that word created. It says a synonym of Yetzar, which is used in Psalm 139, that God took something that was nothing and he created. And that's what he does with our days. And they are formed before any of them ever came to be. So my day tomorrow, your day tomorrow, no matter what happens, we can rest assured that that day was formed, that day was created, that day was initiated. It was structured by God for us. He is just that intimately 
involved with us. Job 14, 5 tells us that our days are limited. Our days are numbered. That we have a, a length of days that God has given us, and we cannot extend them. I have a number on my life. You have a number on your life. We don't know when it is. But God knows when it is. But our days are numbered. Right. Um, turn to, well, this is going to be on the screen, actually. Acts, Acts um, 17, 26 says this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling that they should seek God. He made from one man every nation to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their inhabitation, that they should seek God. God determined that I would be born 1973, not 1873. God determined I'd be born in Dublin, Georgia. God determined you'd be born on your birthday, where you were born, and everything in your life that brings you to this point. God formed your days. He fashioned your days. He determined the periods in which you live and the places in which you live. Isn't that kind of amazing to think that we serve a God that is that, that, is that in control, that if he wanted Martin Luther to live in 2018, he would have made Martin Luther for 2018. If he wanted Jennifer Freeman to live in 1457, he would have had Jennifer Freeman live in 1457. But she wasn't fashioned for 1457. Martin Luther wasn't fashioned for 2018. We were fashioned for where God had designed for us to be fashioned because he knows that this is the best time for us to seek God so that they could seek the Father. So what that tells us is that we are perfectly suited to lead our generation in our time. We are the generation that God has called to Dublin, Georgia, Lawrence County, 2018, to lead, to mentor, to disciple, to evangelize, to build up the body. We are the women, some of the women, that God has placed in Dublin, Georgia to lead other women to Christ. He has fashioned our days for us. He has fashioned us for our days. It is no mistake that we live when we live and where we live. It's all by the hand of God. Acts 13, 36 says this. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. David, King David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep. See, David walked with God. He was what? He was called what? A man after God's own heart. And he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And then he fell asleep. His days were numbered, just as my days are. But it was said of David that he served the purpose of God in his generation. Now, wouldn't that be a great thing to put on your tombstone, your headstone? Bo served the purpose of God in her generation. Alicia served the purpose of God in her generation. Wouldn't that be amazing? If that's what was said at you at your funeral, she served the purpose of God in her generation. That's like one of the greatest statements, I think, in all of Scripture about anybody. They served the purpose of God in their generation. 
And then they fell asleep. So when David, my friend David Lawson says, what did you do last year? Did you serve the purpose of God last year in your life? This year, are you going to serve the purpose of God in your generation, in your workplace, in your home, in your community? It's an amazing, amazing statement. He has chosen us. He's appointed us here. And I don't know about you, but I want that to be said of me, that I serve the purpose of God where he has me. Well, not only has God formed you, not only has God formed your days, he's limited your days, he's appointed where and when you would live. But if you're a believer in the room tonight, if you're here and you know Jesus Christ, then God saved you when God wanted to save you. For some of you, you were saved at 37, for some at 27, I was saved at 13, some might have been much younger. Galatians 1 tells us this, Galatians 1, 15 through 16, says, but when he, speaking of God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal a son to me. Paul says, but when God, but when he, when God had set me apart from birth, and called me, was pleased to reveal the Son to me. So there came a point in time in Paul's life when God was pleased to reveal Jesus to him. This is why you can witness to someone over and over and over and over again, and you're thinking, why are they just not getting it? What's going on? Why can't they just respond and accept and bow the knee, right? Well, Corinthians tells us that, that God is, there's blinders on people, and they're removed when God removes them, Right? They're removed when God removes them. Because there comes a day when it pleases Father to reveal the Son to you. Not a day before. You're saved when God wants to save you. So I was talking to a friend several months ago. They got saved later in life. And the conversation was kind of about, well, you know, all this stuff that I did before I got saved. And I, all that stuff. And why couldn't I have gotten listened when I was younger? And as the conversation went, it became God saved you and God wanted to save you. And all that stuff that's before Christ, he cleans all that stuff up, adds a lot of grace to it, wraps up, kind of puts a bow on it, gives it back to you as a gift so that you can use that story, you can use those experiences, and you can share that with someone else. It's not wasted time. It's redeemed time that is then used to share the gospel and to share what he's done. But God saves you when God wants to save you. He created you, he formed your days, he's limited your days, he's appointed your days, and he saves you when he wants to save you. Aren't those, to me those are just kind of big thoughts. I don't know if that, or those are big thoughts to you. But it's not without a purpose. If we read the rest of this passage, it says this. But when he, who would, form, who would set me apart before I was born, and call me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. When he was pleased to reveal his son in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You see, our salvation comes with an in order that. Right? It comes with an in order that. Yet yeah, we are saved and we get to go to heaven one day. Um, 
But that's not all our salvation is about. It's not just about the end result of heaven. It's about life here on earth, and it's about living now. And there's an order that. Psalm 67, 1 says this. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us, that, that your way may be known on the earth. May God bless us, that, so that, your way may be known on the earth. If you take that little word bless, you kind of tra- you trace it back to when God gave the blessing to Abraham, right? God promised Abraham a blessing in Genesis 15, Genesis 17. And we track that word, we track that blessing throughout the patriarchs and them looking forward to a blessing. We get to Galatians chapter 3, and we learn that the blessing that was promised to Abraham is Holy Spirit that comes and lives in us when it's at salvation. And so when David prays, bless us so that we can be a blessing. If we're saved in the room tonight, we could say, God, save me so that I can bless others. Save me so that I can share with others. Save me so that I can take your word to others. Our salvation comes with and in order that. And so, so many people take their salvation as um, just a security blanket. Just say, I've got that. Just say, yeah, I believe, so I'm good to go. Um, but I tell you, one day we're going to stand before the Father. And we're going to give an account. And yes, my sins are forgiven. Yes, I stand in the righteousness of Christ. But when I stand before him, I'm going to give an account of my life. Deeds done in the body, good or bad. And rewards will be given to us. And so if the rewards that are given, then there, by default, is going to be a loss of reward. And all that's based on not, do I know Jesus? But it's based on how do I live my life? And I tell you, I love, I think this is how God works, but I love that almost every well we've had, what Chad has been preaching has gone right along with what the message has been from up here, no matter who has been speaking. And if you were not here last Sunday or the Sunday before, um, his message are Nehemiah. Really, what are you going to do with your brick? You, you're given a brick. And we're all given bricks to take home with us to put on our shelf. And you're given a brick. You're given a life. You have one life to live. What are you going to do with it? We are saved in order that, in order that we might be a blessing. We are saved in order that we might bring glory to God. We are saved in order that. And then one day he will take us home. But on earth, there's a whole lot of an order that needs to be going on, a whole lot of things that we need to be doing, a whole lot of ministry, a whole lot of blessing, a whole lot of praying, a whole lot of studying, a whole lot of living life for others, not just for ourselves. We are saved in order that. At salvation, we were given two things. The very first thing is um, a mission to the world. We're given a mission to the world. And you can, you know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, you know that one. 2 Corinthians though, 5, 17 through 20. If you'll flip over 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. In your Bibles, it's the Gospels, Acts, then Romans. Um, then you've got your Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians five, starting in verse seventeen, says this: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away; behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Does anyone who's in Christ is a new creation? And at that point, God gave you a ministry. You don't know what your ministry is in the room tonight? Paul tells you. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. He's given you a ministry. We're an ambassador of the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the world. We're ambassadors with the message. You know, our, our government has ambassadors. We have hundreds of ambassadors that we pay and that we send out and we put up in homes all over the world. And they kind of do the bidding of President Trump. They say, go to Russia. Whoever, who's the guy at the Russia that's so famous? I don't know. Go to Russia and tell them this, or go to Uganda, or go to China. And you take the message of the United States, and you tell them what we're going to do. You tell them who we are. You tell them what we think, where we're going. And so that's how we communicate, right, through ambassadors. Well, we are ambassadors with the message from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the very God of very gods. And we have a message to the world that says, you don't have to live like this anymore. There's something different. There's something better. There's a better kingdom to be a part of. You can leave this kingdom and come to our kingdom. No visas, passports, airline tickets, just the blood of Jesus. We're ambassadors. We're given a mission to the world when we come to Christ. But secondly, we are given a ministry to the church. Secondly, we are given a ministry to the church. If you're a believer, when you became a believer, you were given at least one gift, at least one. We call them spiritual gifts. And you were given a gift. 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that those gifts are to be used. It says, use it to serve one another. Our gifts are are to be used to serve one another. Everybody in this room, if you know Jesus Christ, at the point of your salvation, you're given one gift, at least one gift. And that gift is to be used to serve one another. And so I'm going to make a really bold statement right now. And you may not like it, but it's true. If you're not using your gift in the body of Christ, then you're walking in disobedience. If you're not using your gift in the body of Christ, you're walking in disobedience. Now, I'll also be the first one to tell you, there's not a team at DBC or any church that you go to for every single gift. There are gifts that can be used in the body of Christ, and there's not a team for that gift. We've got a great friend who has an incredible gift of encouragement. There's not a team of encouragers at DBC. But she can be seen most every Sunday using her gift of encouragement. So I'm not saying you have to join a team, you have to get up and hold the door or work with kids or serve coffee or sound or band. I'm just saying you've been given a gift. And if you're not using your gift to serve the body of Christ, then you're walking in disobedience. Plain and simple. Just as much as if you're not using your life as a minister of reconciliation. 
you're walking in disobedience. Just as much. You've given a ministry and you've been given a, a mission. Now, a lot of people wonder, where am I going to be when I grow up? And sometimes I still wonder that every day. What am I going to be when I grow up? <laughs> what do I want to be? I've had somebody ask me that recently. What do you want to be when you grow up? Like, I don't know. It's kind of what I do. Um, I don't know what's next. But do you ever feel that way sometimes? You're 30, 40, and you're like, is this really what life is all about? Is there something different when I grow up? So if you're not, you're under 18 years old, that question never goes away. Um, we still kind of wonder. I'm, 40, I'm 44, and I'll be 45 in November. I guess I'm 44. And I still wonder, hmm, what do I want to be when I grow up? But what I do know is no matter what I am, that God's purpose for me is as a minister of reconciliation and as a servant to the body of Christ. No matter what else I do in life, those things are guaranteed. Those things are granted. Those things are, are definite. And that's the same for you. But the one thing is, is that these things will require time, sacrifice, and intentionality. It's going to take your time. It's going to take a sacrifice. And it's going to take you being intentional. It will take getting out of your comfort zone. It will take putting some of your plans on hold. It will, take, it will take saying no to a lot of things that are less than. And you see, we live for a lot of things that are less than in our world, in our life. Have a lot of less thans that we live for. Anything that pushes out being a minister of reconciliation and being a servant of the body of Christ is a less than. Because see, we can use our job in, the, in a ministry. Our families. What a ministry of reconciliation. If you have kids... Family members are lost. What an opportunity. What a chance to serve your family. What a chance to, to come to worship and serve. But we live for less than so much. And so the question that we have to ask is this. It's one big question. And the question is, is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth me sacrificing my time, being intentional, walking away from things that are less than, to pursue at least two things that we know of from Scripture he's called us to do, a minister of reconciliation and a servant to the body of Christ. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? I read a book. A while back, actually, I finished reading it on Hurricane Irma Day. Sitting in my house and um, all excited because I had a generator. And lights went out and the generator did not come on. And I'm like, man. So I grabbed the candles and I grabbed the lantern, sat um, by my window. I'd, I've got three windows in the front of my house. They're not together, so it wasn't as bright as I hoped it to be. Sat by the window with my lantern and this book called The Insanity of God. I'd read about half, almost half of it, and it's a book about, not that thick, it's a decent-sized book. And I just began to read, and I got so enthralled in this book, and I read, 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 until I finished it, just, probably read for six hours, finished it all on that day. Has anybody read that book? I know a few of you read it. Um, just a great book. And I would tell you, if you don't read any of the book in the next year, 
the next 10 years, read that book. The first half is about a guy and his family that goes to Somaliland um, when no one else was going in. They went in before the UN ever went in back in the 90s when it was just a complete war zone. And they were the only people there that were trying to do anything um, to help. And spent years there, years in Africa working. And um, left the field just kind of devastated with what they saw. Um, just came home, and I won't tell the story, but came home and through some difficult situations. And we're just kind of wondering, is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth being there? So they come, they come, they get, they get connected with a college group, and they're they're discipling some college kids. And the guy decides to go and um, into some of the, the most difficult places of the world, China, Russia, um, some of the Muslim, the forty um, ten forty window, some really really difficult places, and he and finds believers and interviews them to find out how are you, what are you doing, how are you doing it, is God actually doing things in hard places. So the second half of the book is all of these amazing, amazing, amazing interviews um, that would just rock your world, things that they say. But throughout the book, the question is, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth this? Is he worth it? And one of the things that they talk about is freedom. And one of the very last chapters talk about freedom and that in the countries that he's visiting, China, Russia, um, he didn't even name them. They're so, I would say Iran probably. I doubt he went to North Korea. I don't know. Um, but in these places, just like my friend David Lawson shared, it's just illegal. I mean, they know they're going to die for their faith. And some amazing stories of God just doing only God things, Acts kind of stuff. I mean, it's stuff from the book of Acts that God's doing in these countries. Um, they talk about freedom. They say, you know what, in Iraq, Iran, these, these countries... They are just as free as we are to share the gospel. They're just as free as we are. But they have to decide, is it worth the consequence? Is their obedience worth the consequence? Remember years ago, Jamie and I went to Moldova. And crazy story in and of itself. Um, only a God thing that we ended up in the right place at the right time. And got out of there alive because we had, I guarantee, ex-KGB um, watching us and even kind of tried to um, shut down one of our meetings. It was quite scary. I was just one of my mama at that point. You know, I said, where's my mama? And can she come get me? Does she even know where I'm at? I didn't know where I was at. I was just in Moldova. Just me and her with the family. Um, we weren't with the group. We kind of did our own deal, and I will never do that again, um, ever, because <laughs> nobody knew where to come get me. Um, but the family that we, that we stayed with, they, they teach Bible in the schools. We're having dinner one night, and Arthur asked us, he said, what do you guys do back in the States? So we're talking. He said, do you do anything in your schools? I said, no, we can't. It's illegal. Stupid thing to say, because it's not perfectly legal there either. And he says, well, have you tried? No, I haven't. And so that just kind of shut the conversation down. But I thought, man, for me to go into this country and say, no, we can't because it's illegal, when they are doing some very difficult things in some very difficult situations, watch day and night, threatened all the time, and to them it's like, ugh, that's okay, no big deal. It's part of their life. And I just wanted my mama. And that's just how they live their life because they've decided that Jesus is worth it. That Jesus is worth it.
just like David said in the video, the guy that he, he met wherever he was at said, I will live for Christ till I die for Christ. Lost everything he had. I live for Christ until I die for Christ because Jesus is worth it. So I want us to answer the question, is Jesus worth it? You have your, your worship guides. We're going to read Colossians 1, um, 9 through 23 together. And can you guys see? Do you need more light? Are we good to go? You guys see this? As I read this, um, I want you to underline. There are pens on the table if you don't have one. Anybody need a pen that doesn't, it's not sitting near a pen? Um, we're going to read this. And as I read, I want you to underline every place, everything it tells us what God has done for us when we get saved. We're going to mark, you're going to underline what God has done for us when we got saved, okay? So I'm going to start reading Colossians 1, verse 9. It says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'll read that again. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, as we looked at that, we read that and you underlined, what are some things that you saw that happened to us or were done for us at salvation? Somebody tell me, what's, what's something that you saw? Delivered us from the domain of darkness? Yes, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's forgiven our sins. We have redemption and forgiveness of sins. That's in verse 13. He qualified us, verse 12, verse 12 he qualified us to share and the inheritance of the saints in light. What else do you see? When he delivered us, what did he do with us? Verse 13. He transferred us. So he delivered us from one kingdom, and he transferred us to another kingdom. What else do we see? 
about verse 20? We're reconciled to him. Right? We're reconciled to him. Verse 20 tells us that we're what made peace. He makes peace by the blood of Jesus. It's another thing he does, making peace by the blood of the cross. He presents us as holy and blameless. Yes, he reconciled us in order to present us holy and blameless. Can we throw that list on the screen for me? So Colossians 1, 9 through 23, these are just some of the things that we see. He qualified us to share in his inheritance. He delivered us from the domain of darkness. Let me talk about that just for a second. Um, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Um, there's another slide, Colby, about the domain of darkness. I want to look at this just real quick. There are two, there are two kingdoms in this world. We're going to use this table and these girls. You're in the middle, Danielle. That's good. You're, you're riding the fence. Everybody on this side of the room, you're in the domain of darkness. Hmm. At least you're like, no, I've been delivered. Um, this side of the room, you guys are the kingdom of his son. And they're two different kingdoms. And you're in one or the other. There is no gray kingdom. There's no middle. You got to decide, Danielle, which side are you going? <laughs> you're in one kingdom or the other. You're either in the domain of darkness or you're in the kingdom of his son. There's no, there's no third option. So if you live in the domain of darkness, these are just a few verses. First John 5, 19 says this world here lies in the power of the evil one. So that you're in the power of Satan. If you're in this world, it lies in the power of the evil one. Ephesians 2, 2 tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. That he is working in this kingdom. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us that there are rulers, authorities, and powers in this present darkness. But the good thing is if you keep reading those verses, if you live over here and you're in this kingdom, he's given you weapons and he's given you armor. And he's giving you protection from what happens in this kingdom over here. But if you're in this kingdom, you have none of that. But if you're in that kingdom, you do. Right? Next screen, Colby. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this world has blinded your minds. That the God of this world, who we know is Satan, has blinded your minds if you live in the, in the domain of darkness. John 12, 30, Jesus talked about a time when the ruler of this world, who we know is Satan, is going to be cast out. And then in John 8, 34 through 44, it's a really fascinating passage. He's dealing with some Pharisees. He says, your, your father's the devil. And you're of your father, the devil. Because you live in the kingdom of darkness. And so just, there's just two options in this life. Either we're in the kingdom of darkness, or we're like Danielle, we get smart, and we slide over here to the kingdom of his son. Right? There's just two options. And what happens when you get saved is that it says that he delivered us from this kingdom by transferring us. And it's a, uh, that's an aorist active indicative word, which means nothing to you guys other than this. It means that once you came, once Alicia got delivered, she was um, figuratively, if you will, picked up. You guys remember the TV show Quantum Leap? Right? She, she quantum leaped from this kingdom to this kingdom. She was transferred once and for all. She didn't have, to get, didn't have to get saved over and over and over again. It's a once and for all transfer. We're transferred once and for all 
to the kingdom of his son. Because, see, this kingdom is all that stuff. Ruled by Satan, principalities, rulers. And while we live amongst the people here, our kingdom is over there. We're given protection, we're given shelter, we're given armor to make it through this. But once you come to Christ, you are transferred, you are picked up, and you are moved. And Ephesians tells us that we're actually seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That right now, we are seated with Lord Jesus Christ. That's how transferred we are, if you know Jesus. So, we were qualified, we were delivered, we were transferred. We have redemption. We're reconciled to him. He's made peace for us. And he reconciles us to present us holy and blameless before him one day. And I tell you, just as by way of commercial, this summer we're saying First Thessalonians, all about us standing before him one day, being blameless before him. The entire summer, First Thessalonians talking about us being blameless before the Father. I encourage you to jump in on that. Ephesians. Ephesians, flip over in your book. Ephesians 1, 3 through 2, 22. It's a long passage. Um, going to read it. Do the same thing. Underline what you see. Talks about what happens to us when we get saved. This is going to be a little bit of redundancy, but that's good. All right, so starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard of the word, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following what? The course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has, he has made us both one and has broken out in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer aliens and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and in the whole structure being joined together grows into holy temple in the Lord, and in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's a lot of words. What did we learn? What did you see? What did you underline? What God has done for us in saving us. Made us alive. Saved and raised up. Blessed us. What was that? Who said something over here? What did you say, Joy? Blessed us in the beloved. Made us holy and blameless. Okay, the cornerstone. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does the What does the Holy Spirit do? Verse fourteen. Guarantees our inheritance. We talked about in Colossians chapter one that we are qualified for an inheritance. God qualifies us for it. Well, the Holy Spirit guarantees that inheritance until we can obtain it. He has guaranteed it. So that's. We're qualified for it by the Father, but the Spirit seals us and He guarantees what is coming for us. It's kind of like when you guys, I used to grow up across from Mr. Fred's store, and I go over and I get a Coke and a bottle. Old machine, you had to, you know, go through the tracks and find your way, you pull it up and um, got a great bottle of Coke and I'd put a hole in the lid. I didn't put a hole in the lid, I'd suck out the hole. I had to something my mom always did that. We'd put a hole in the lid and I'd suck through the lid and... Um, great memories of doing that. But I would always take the bottles back to get what? Get a refund. Get 
get my deposit back. When I bought that bottle, it came with a, it came with a deposit. And so he held part of that money until I could go get that deposit. Um, but the Holy Spirit guarantees that there's something there for me. Just like that bottle guaranteed that I could go back and I could get that money back from Mr. Fred. Holy Spirit guarantees me that I have an inheritance coming. What else did we learn? We're brought near by the blood of Christ. We have access to the Father through Jesus. Kobe, let's throw that list up, if you will. This is just a short, this is actually two screens here. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses. He lavished grace on us. You guys remember the story of the prodigal son? Actually should have been called the prodigal father. Because as lavishly as the father, as the son spent his inheritance on everything he shouldn't spend his inheritance on, the father lavishly forgave the son and lavished grace on him. The father lavished his grace upon us. We've obtained an inheritance. We're still the Spirit. The Spirit guarantees our inheritance. The next screen, Colby, says um, we're made alive together with Christ with, or with Chris, if you read the screen. Um, we're raised up and seated with Him in heavenly places. We're brought near and we have access to the Father. All of this happens when we come to Christ, when He transfers us from one kingdom to the next kingdom. If you live in this kingdom, you're under the power of Satan, under the uh, the forces of evil. But once you're delivered, you're delivered. Once you're transferred, you're transferred. So that is what happened to us and for us when God chose to reveal the Son to us. That is what Jesus was contemplating in the garden that night when he was sweating blood. That's what he was contemplating. He knew this was the outcome of his sacrifice. And not that he didn't want to go, not that he didn't want this to happen. He didn't want to go through, he had to go through this to happen for us. He wanted this to happen without him having to, to sacrifice, right? He says, God, if you will, let this cut pass from me. But not as I will, but as you will. And it was worth it to the Father. You were worth it to the Father for him to send his son to the cross so that you could be delivered from this kingdom and put in that kingdom. You were worth it to the Father. So when we ask the question, is Jesus worth it? We were worth his death. Is Jesus worth whatever it is he's calling you to do or to walk through? Is he worth it? Is he worth whatever it is he's calling you to do or to walk through? Is he? We don't have time to go through Romans. Um, but when you get to Romans 11, Romans 12, at the end of Romans 11, Paul talks about how God hardened the hearts of the, of the Jews. And he hardened the hearts of the Jews so that he could make the gospel available to us. And there's a portion in the book of Acts where Paul, is, Paul tells the Jews, he says, look, I'm going now to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles start rejoicing that they now have access to the gospel. But he hardened the Jews so that 
we could have access to the gospel and to make them jealous. And you get into Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You guys all know this passage. And it says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual or your reasonable worship. Paul's saying, in light of everything God has done for you, in light of the fact that he formed me, he fashioned me, he saved me, qualified me, delivered me, transferred me, brought me near, gave me access to the Father, sealed me, made me alive, all the things we talked about. Therefore, based on all of that stuff, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That living sacrifice, what most theologians believe that it is, is a burnt offering. That's what Paul saw it was a burnt offering. And in burnt offerings, what would happen is it, that's the one offering that the entire offering was consumed on the altar. The priest didn't get any parts of it. The entire offering was brought and it was put on the altar. And the, the altar had these four corners, almost like horns, that they would tie um, the sacrifice too. And so the, the offering was brought, the, the entire animal was brought, put on the altar, and it was tied to the altar. And they would light a fire, and the fire would consume the altar, I mean, the offering. And the priest's job was as the offering began to slide off that altar, they would take these big hooks and they would grab the meat and they would pull it back on the altar. Because, see, the offering could not slide off the altar had to be wholly consumed. And Paul is saying, based on everything God has done for you, the only reasonable act, the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that is intelligent is for you to climb on the altar and stay there and to offer your entire body as a sacrifice. That we don't crawl off when things get too hot as much as we want to sometimes, we don't do that. We stay there. And we allow people, our friends and our pastors and our ministers, to grab those meat hooks and drag us back on. Several months ago, I was going through a particular difficult time. One day of many of the last couple of months. Um, and I don't, I don't know what was going on. I know the, the general situation. But it was a rough few days. And a really sweet friend did probably the, the sweetest thing that's ever been done for me. Was well, she took a picture of my notes that I taught at the May, May Well last year. Screenshot. And she sent it to me. And I thought, did I say that? Because, man, that hurts today. Um, but, man, that's what we do for each other. That we're tempted to slide off the altar, we pull each other back on. Because we are to be living sacrifices, and the whole of us is to be consumed. Because we were worth it to the Father to send the Son to the cross. Is Jesus worth it? I'll live for Christ till I die for Christ. All right? Is Jesus worth it? worth it my only rational response the only thing that makes sense when I look at where I was without Christ and what Christ has done for me 
It's commonly altered day after day and say you're worth it. And these are some truthful statements that I would like for you to consider. If Jesus never does one more thing for you before he calls you home, he's worth it. If Jesus never works out one more financial situation for you, he's worth it. If Jesus never works out one more work problem for you, he's worth it. If Jesus never heals another disease or illness in your life, he's worth it. If Jesus never gives you the life you dream of, he's worth it. If Jesus never brings you a spouse or gives you children, he's worth it. If Jesus calls you to the uttermost with the gospel, he's worth it. So is Jesus worth it? Is he worth your obedience? When it's hard. Is he worth you being disciplined with your finances so that when he calls you to give, you can give? Is he worth you being a good steward of your time so you can sit with him daily and learn from him? I'll tell you, one of the very best things that's ever happened to me is last June, I lost my direct TV. And the day I walked in, that first day it was cut off. Like, you get these rude letters from DirecTV, all in red, saying, if you don't pay, we're going to cut it off. And ugh. So I'm not afraid that you choose to eat or you choose to watch TV. Really the decision to make. Um, so when, June 6th was my cutoff date, and I knew I wasn't going to have TV when I got home. I don't know. I think it was an act of God. I had it like for the next four days, so I, I like recorded stuff. But you, I didn't realize you can't watch your DVR when I've cut off your DirecTV. <laughs> So that didn't work for me. Um, but I thought, oh, I still have internet. So I began streaming Hulu and Netflix, but I say all this time was just redeemed. Then I, get, uh, then I moved to our farm on a cabin. You guys know where I live. And I moved out there in September and um, no internet, which means I can no longer stream Netflix and Hulu. Um, and I didn't want to get a contract for Drake Tree. Who knows how long I'll be there. And so... Um, the very first weekend I'm there, I'm thinking, okay, there's no TV, there's no even streaming, there's no, I barely get Facebook. Um, I thought, oh, I can rent some movies, Redbox. So I hit Redbox, and I go home, and my TV's sitting right beside my window unit, which is an old one, and it's very loud. <laughs> so I get on the sofa, turn the TV on, can hear nothing. <laughs> and so, like, the volume's all the way up, still hear nothing. And I'm just lamenting this whole deal. You know what Jesus said? This is just you and me. This is just you and me. And so not having TV and no internet to stream, I have redeemed so much time. To sit at the Father's feet and just to listen, to study, to be with Him. And I know that's not everybody's reality in here. um, But it's my reality, and I've loved it in a sense. I've learned to love it. And I've learned to, to manage my DV. Um, my sister and her family gave me a sound bar for Christmas so I can actually hear stuff when I watch DVDs. It's been a blessing. But man, when I go home, I don't even think about the TV. I don't think about it. I go home, I walk my dogs, I feed myself, feed them. And I'm fortunate. I'm so fortunate. I get to sit and study and sit with Father for hours at night. And I know that that is a rarity in this world. And I know you guys don't all have that. 
You guys have families and responsibilities I don't have. And my question is this. While you're not in my situation, is Jesus worth you redeeming some time that maybe you're wasting so you could sit with him? And I'm not talking about a five-minute podcast, a five-minute devotional. Those are great and those are useful. But I'm talking about sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him speak to you. Is he worth you turning off something, getting up earlier, staying up later, making some changes? Is he worth that? This one's going to hurt. Is he worth you changing your diet so you can be as healthy as you can be as far as it's up to you so that you can live long and live strong as his ambassador? Is he worth that? Is he worth a few hours a month so that you can help a younger sister in Christ grow the knowledge of him? Is he worth that? Is he worth a few hours of your month so that you can sit with someone older than you, have them pour into you so that you can walk more than knowledge of him? Is he worth that? Is he worth getting up a little earlier on Sundays so you can hold a door for somebody, come love on our kids, come serve coffee, get out of your comfort zone, and serve the body of Christ with your gift? Is he worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? And that's the question we have to ask. Back in the 90s, you guys bought the bracelets, had the whatever, WWJD. What would Jesus do? The truth is, I think most times we know what Jesus would do. But what we wrestle with is, will we be obedient to that? That's what we wrestle with, not what would he do. We know what he would do if you're really honest about it. You know, right? Most times you know. What you wrestle with is, am I going to follow that? And so the real question is not, what would Jesus do? But is Jesus worth my obedience? Is Jesus worth my loyalty? Is Jesus worth my time? Is he worth my finances? Is he worth my diet? Is he worth whatever? Is he worth it? That's the question we have to ask tonight. I was going to share with you the story of Esther, and I don't have time. Um, the story of Esther just in a nutshell, as a young Jewish girl that through circumstances was chosen to be the queen under um, King Xerxes, which is the king just before King Artaxerxes that Chad is telling us about on Sunday mornings. She lived in the time that, that Ezra and Zerubbabel and all these guys were going back into the land. And um, there came a situation where her uncle's enemy devised a plot to annihilate all the Jews in one day. And the king signed off on it and said, great, we'll do it, no big deal. And Esther's the queen. She's brought the, she becomes queen. And Mordecai gets word to Esther what's going on. And he says, Esther, who knows whether or not you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And she says, you know what? If the king doesn't call me and I go to him, that's death. If he doesn't give me the scepter, that's death. And he hasn't called me for 30 days. So if I go, I'm going to die. And he says, don't be deceived. Just because you're in the king's palace does not mean you're going to escape the fate of your, of your people. And if you don't go, deliverance is going to come from somewhere for our people. And what does she say? She says, okay, gather the people and pray for three days. I'm going to go, and if I perish, I perish. Long story short, she goes to the king. He grants her favor. She tells him what's going on through a whole series of fascinating stuff. He cannot change his edict. An edict was an edict. Once it was set, he could not just reverse it. They were to be annihilated in one day. 
And he can't change that. And he says, okay, but you got, your people can fight back. And so he says, okay, on the same day, fight back. And so the story goes, and they overwhelm their enemies, and they, the Jews, are saved. But it's all because one woman said, it's worth it. It's worth it. I'll live for Christ till I die for Christ. Who knows whether or not you've been brought from this kingdom to this kingdom for such a time as this. And is Jesus worth it? Is he worth your obedience, your time, your money, your diet, your TV time, your whatever time? Is he worth it? That's the question. We're going to play just a song of response. And um, as you sit and listen, um, just ask God to show you areas of your life where you have said to him, you're not worth it. And repent of that and then move on and say, yes, Lord, you are worth whatever because he gave everything for us. Is Jesus worth it? For consider what great things he has done for you. Now we're all going to sin before him one day. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll give an account. And I would rather say today, Jesus is worth it than have him ask me, was it worth it? I would rather say today and live my life saying Jesus is worth it than have him ask me, was it worth it? Was the loss reward worth it? Was my disappointment worth it? Because I did not live my life as if he is worth it every single day. Now, let me pray for us and I'll get some, give you some instructions. Father, we are so very grateful for your word. And Lord, um, I just tell you that you are worth it and so much more. And Father, if you never do anything else for me in life, if you don't give me anything I'm praying for, that Lord, you're worth it. And Lord, remind me tomorrow morning and the day after and the day after that you're worth it. And God, for those that are here tonight that, that are wondering, are you worth it? God, I pray that you would reveal more of who you are to than Father. God, help us live in the light of eternity instead of living for less than. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to be ministers to the world and ministers to your church, Father. Help us be women who will be set of, fulfill our purpose in our generation. We want that set of us, Father. God, we thank you. We love you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.